0: starfire codes podcast where we discuss metaphysics survival the media and the truth thanks for joining us i'm your host demi Pitchell. we're here today with kristen welch and mike stone kristen welch is a writer researcher integrative holistic health and wellness coach and she will be frequently appearing as a co-host on the starfire codes podcast welch began her career in healthcare management at the university of antelope valley in california and is currently pursuing a BA in Ayurveda wellness and integrative health at Maharishi International University. In her spare time, Kristen enjoys combining her knowledge of horticulture and healthcare by creating her own personal healthcare products and runs a community gardening group. Mike Stone writes the website Virology, which exposes the lies of germ theory and virology using their own sources. Mike has an educational background in health and exercise science. He's been a personal trainer, nutritionist, and is currently a health and wellness coach. Mike also runs the virology newsletter on Substack. Kristen Welch and Mike Stone, part one. Uh, welcome Kristen and Mike, thanks for coming. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, let's, uh, let's get started. Um, Mike, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're doing and a bit about your publication and we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Well, um, so what I do, I, I have the the website v i r o l i e g y V-I-R-O-L-I-E-G-Y.com. People love to try and pronounce that. Um, and what, what I do at that site primarily, or at least what I've been attempting to do, is just go through the original foundational papers for, uh, you know, any viruses and um, seeing whether or not the evidence adheres to the scientific method and Um, whether they've actually, you know, established a cause and effect relationship between, well, first of all, proving the existence of virus and actually showing that they cause disease. So um, you can find a lot of these papers there. I mean, I go into, excuse me, a lot of the um, processes they use like cell culture, uh, genomics, um, uh, electron microscope imaging, and uh, different topics there um, just to try and give people the background, you know, a, a basis uh, for where they can start their own investigations as well. So uh, my, my goal is not to like just say, hey, read everything I write and uh, believe everything I say. It's to give people uh, a place to start from a, a jumping off point and to, to start doing their own research and uh, seeing if what they agree with my conclusions based on what I'm writing. So. Um, that, that site uh, is more for like the scientific or the papers that this, you know, the scientific papers associated with virology, um, we'll call them pseudoscientific papers because they really don't follow the scientific method. And then I have a Substack, stack, Mike stone, um, that Substack, And, um, while it was supposed to originally just be like a, a quick newsletter, it kind of morphed into a, a second blog. So I'm balancing between the two of those. Um, and I, I'm focused more on uh, less of the, like the the actual papers, but more on uh, broader topics. Like um, I've done articles on bacteria, uh, the tricks that they use um, as far as like how they uh, manipulate diagnoses and um, different things along those lines. I've got one coming out later today about the effects of air pollution and and how uh, it's increasing respiratory disease and, you know, that's getting blamed on bacteria and viruses and things like that. So, um, you know, they kind of go hand in hand and some of those articles will probably eventually wind up on virology.com, but uh, it's been keeping me busy to say the least.
0: Definitely. So um, so let's talk a bit about um, where you said, you know, you're getting into um, toxins and, and environmental um, effects upon health. Um, let's talk about some of that as far as what the alternative causes are for you know having the same symptoms in um, in what we perceive to be you know um, the the cause for disease in one model versus the cause of disease in another model.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I mean, we we know like let's say for instance, uh, if we're looking at I, I had a discussion recently, and, and this is on the Substack as well that you can see um, uh, with a person who wanted the terrain theory, um, idea or like the causes, like they, they said every single cause, um, outside of a virus that can, uh, lead to the symptoms of a common cold. Right. And while terrain theory, the, you know, it's multifactorial, we're not saying there's one single cause that's going to lead to these symptoms. It's not a virus, you know, there's multiple factors. And, um, And so it's it's absolutely impossible to list every single factor but i gave this person multiple um alternatives that are associated with these same symptoms and when you really look into it the the symptoms associated with the common cold are identical to seasonal allergies or hay fever right they're both considered rhinitis rhinitis if i'm saying it properly Mm -hmm. Um, they just have you know different associated causes causes there's allergic rhinitis or viral rhinitis and um, the symptoms line up exactly. And so if you look at that, um, the, the actual causes that are associated with allergies or seasonal allergies, you know, you're talking mold, dust, uh, pollen, um, pet dander, air pollution, all these things can lead to, uh, inflammation in the respiratory tract, which can lead to, you know, um, uh, congestion, coughing, itchy, watery eyes, uh, difficulty breathing, um, and even fever, I mean, they, they try to make this distinction that, you know, there's a difference between the common cold and allergies based on uh, a fever, but you'll still, if you look into the research, you can find cases of um, allergies with fevers. They just say, well, it, it's the inflammation and it might've led to an infection with the virus or bacteria. We don't know, but, you know, there, there's all these different similarities. So the when you're looking at the trained perspective, there's always alternative causes. Um, uh, there's not a single cause. And even then, you know, there might be other factors outside of those causes. Like it could be, you know, the level of stress someone is under, what they're eating, drinking, whether they're trying to suppress their symptoms with pharmaceuticals or uh, vaccines or different things like that. So um, there could be multiple causes that can bring about these symptoms, but it's all the, the, the main idea or the main point of the theory is that it's all the same detoxification or healing process and and people experience these these symptoms they they're just the the you know the pharmaceutical model is just breaking them into different diseases based on min, minute uh, differences and, and mm-hmm. assumed causes
2: yeah so to speak a little bit to what you're saying like not only is this going to be multifactorial based on your environment And not just, you know, things like allergies and stuff like that. Our body goes through this, this toxin purge based on all kinds of other stuff. You know, it it could depend obviously on our environment, the toxins, what kind of foods we're eating, something going up in the area, like say, you know, 5G, you know, I know that I need to do a little bit more research on that, but if you look at, things like the mapping of when that was put out and then illness that's in that area, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but it's a good start to kind of look at patterns and recognizing that stuff. So it's multifactorial with not only your environment, but like you said, individually from person to person, how is the terrain around you and how is your personal health in your terrain, you know, and those are going to be things that, you know, are going to have factors about how often you get sick or not, you know, and how your body is going to react to that or get rid of it. Like I used to get those allergies, those seasonal allergies. And since I've kind of picked up gardening more and stuff, I'm outside a lot for the last three years, I haven't had allergies and that's because I'm outside being exposed to the pollen and stuff. I'm not just sitting outside and then going out and like, you know, getting blasted with pollen and then I can't handle it. So yeah
1: your body's become better at filtering these things out it sounds like Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i think that's that's a a great point it's like the the problem with this um allopathic model is that they're looking for the singular cause and that people are all going to react the same way you know it's got to be that one cause is going to have these specific symptoms and here's this medicine for it but you know it's it's not that we we all have different you know you they have to be looked at on a a case-by-case basis and there's potentially multiple things that can go into causing disease. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, in regard to respiratory disease, a a big factor is that in in those symptoms is the pollution that we're breathing in. I mean, obviously our air is more polluted now than it used to be, but that's not, you know, that's not that one factor that's going to bring it about. There's other things that could potentially be causing people not to be able to filter it out properly, you know, whether it's the nutrition um, or the the different uh, medications they're on, or what they're dealing with at that time. I mean, people can be in those environments and be just fine. Maybe they're taking care of these other factors and allowing their bodies to process it in a, a much more efficient way than someone else might be able to.
2: Mm-hmm. And also, I think that when we do things like mask or suppress symptoms instead of allowing our body to go through that detox naturally, you know, we're hurting ourselves more than helping at that point. That's what our body's supposed to do. And when we do things like, you know, take something to take away our fever, our body can't do its job now. And we've gotten so used to thinking that that's how we help
1: ourselves when it's really not. Absolutely. You're stopping that process. You're stopping that healing process. You're basically halting it. And um, there was this really great um, uh, 14 minute segment. I I don't know if you've seen it by this guy his name, I think it was Don Tolman. Um, and it, it's he's, it's really entertaining. I believe I have it on my Substack article with the common cold versus the seasonal allergies. So I really I highly recommend people checking out. It's a link and it's just a 14 minute a video of him explaining how you can go from like really mild uh, symptoms and uh, trying to suppress those symptoms and then progressing more and more your body's like trying to figure out like oh wait so you're shutting this process down well now i'm gonna have to do this and that's going to create different symptoms well you stop those symptoms that's going to lead to even worse symptoms and it's just this process where we're trying to shut down our our body's ability to you know heal naturally through unnatural means and it's just going to lead to worse and worse disease we're actually going against what we should be doing people view these symptoms as you know, harmful, which I mean, they can be if they get out of control, but it's a process. It's, it's, it's the the signal that your body is doing what it needs to, to heal. And you have to allow that process to occur, not, not hinder it. Absolutely.
2: And then also when you do that, like you said, it can lead to, you know, secondary tertiary issues and the original one that you're dealing with. And now you have like this, you know, cluster of symptoms going on.
1: Exactly. It can lead to, you know, uh, worsening conditions like chronic diseases or cancer and things like that if you continue to suppress your ability to clean out your system. I mean, that's, that's why it makes so much sense to me. Like when you look at the, the symptoms of a detoxification, like what someone will go through um, when they go through a detox or even like a withdrawal from drugs, it's the same exact symptoms that you see people go through um, associated with like flus or, or pneumonia and things like that. That's because your body is trying whatever way it can to purge these toxins from your system. And so you don't stop someone, like if someone's going through a draw, you don't stop them by giving them, you know, more of the drug that they're going through a draw through. You try to help alleviate you know, maybe make them comfortable and stuff like that, but they have to go through this process in order to clean their system out. You don't well, stop.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah another thing is too is that if you're constantly exposing yourself to certain toxins or things it doesn't matter how much you're trying to you know put in your body how much your body is trying to get rid of it if you're still exposing yourself to certain environmental factors or you know other factors you're not going to expect it to go away you know it's either going to stay the same or it's going to get exacerbated because you haven't removed what's causing the issue and that's another misconception I think it's important to understand too when we're talking about the ionizing versus non-ionizing radiation that most of the lab experiments that have been conducted to date, they're actually not designed to identify some of the more severe side effects that kind of come with real life operating environment in which these wireless radiation systems exist. So for example, many experiments actually don't include pulsing and modulation of the carrier signal that has an effect on biological life and that's not being taken into account. There's also uh, the problem with like the mass the vast majority of this is not taken into co- uh, consideration the adverse effect of other toxic stimuli, such as chemical biological things that are act- actually acting in concert or in tandem with the wireless radiation and then it's becoming a catalyst for more illness. So that's something that I kind of thought would be important to touch on uh, since we're kind of going into this alternate causes for the same symptoms of disease. And that would be a huge environmental factor, especially after what we've seen in the last few years. So.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I, I, unfortunately I have yet to read that, that book, the, the invisible rainbow, I've heard so many good things about it. And it sounds just amazing, like really fascinating, uh, information that, uh, Arthur had put together. And so it's on my list. I have a pile of books that I have to get to that. I (laughs) I, I But, um, I, I believe there's definitely gotta be something to that. I mean, if you look at, um, uh, you know, the, the time when these, uh, frequencies are, are, you know, the, the electromagnetic, uh, I came in. Say it properly. The EMS, you know, spiked and everything. They were put into use. There's a lot of correlation with uh, rises in disease. I think, if I remember correctly, I, I you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think even like during the 1918 Spanish flu, there was like an increase in uh, mm-hmm. EMS and and radio waves and things like that. So, you know, there there definitely could be a correlation or you know uh, association with these frequencies because we are you know energy beings and. and uh, we have just a, a greater increase in these uh, frequencies throughout, you know, as they continue to introduce more and more, whether it was, you know, 3G, 4G, 5G now, they just keep going up. And, and it's just another form of pollution that our bodies have to deal with. And so it's just another another factor. Um, and if you combine, you know, the, the, the effects that these could be potentially having on us, along with our air pollution, along with, you know the the pharmaceuticals people are taking or the the you know the the toxic foods that they're eating whether they're you know not eating organic or they're going to fast food restaurants and things like that and you know if they're getting la- no no sleep because they're overworked they're overstressed they're dealing with financial hardships and all these things i mean there there's so many um, Things that can come together to to lead to disease, and so it's hard to just single one out. But we can look and see that there are other things out there um, that have a, a you know a much um, more clear path towards causing us disease or harm than you know invisible viruses or, or bacteria that have never scientifically been shown to actually cause disease.
0: I think to speak to um to Mike's point earlier about the Spanish flu and and Kristen can uh can give us more information on this. I, I believe it was that it coincided with the rollout of the telegraph, I wanna say. Mm-hmm. Um, causing those lines to um to expose people to electromagnetic frequencies that they weren't used to and then their bodies had to get used to that and there was an uptick in illness around that time based on that. But it also coincided with the um the Rosno experiment.
2: Yep, absolutely. And a lot of that, I think, is because the people that they performed that experiment on were military members who were in close proximity to the bases where a lot of this technology was being erected. So again, if we have people who, after a 15-year study, we've seen that they have a sensitivity to just electrical changes in the weather, what are all of these different things gonna, like telegraphs and power lines and stuff, you know, those are gonna have an effect? And we're finding out more and more about these effects. Again, the non ionizing versus ionizing radiation, uh, you know, everyone knows you don't wanna get an X ray without your lead vest, right? But why does everyone not know the effects of the cell phone that's in their hand, for example? You know what I mean? So. And then,
0: especially when you um, when you take a flight, a lot of people don't know this either. They they think that um, when you take a flight, it's fine. But then they they confuse it that um, that they've gotten ill because someone else on the flight was ill with them. When they don't even think about the radiation that they're being exposed to on the flight itself, and the fact that they need to um, spend time recovering and spend time grounding in between. So people are taking flights um, consecutively. And not realizing that they're accumulating um, radiation, um, and then they need to discharge that radiation in order not to carry it, in order to their, you know, for their body to be able to discharge that and not um, not become ill in in the effort to discharge
2: that. Right. Well, even pre flight, some people aren't even aware that just going through the the little radiation machine It's like more than a metal detector. I feel like it's some kind of super metal detector, but I don't know exactly how it works, but that is also exposing you. You know, you can just opt for the pat down. Thanks for the tip, Demi. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah you, i you, always you. do and i end up like um i end up holding up the line and people are asking me questions about it and then everybody gets angry with me you know mm-hmm. as they're going past and whatever they're like why don't you want to do that And i'm like because i'm opting out because it's dangerous and then they all get upset about it and it trickles down the line and then people are coming through saying it's not dangerous it's not dangerous i'm like yeah it is so <laughs> uh, I <laughs> like i choose not to do it, it-
2: there wasn't more people going through behind me and I'm just watching like a, you know, line of like two, 300 people just shuffling through it. I'm like, oh, you know, but what can you do? Um,
1: I I also find um, just, you know, flying in general for me, um, it's not a fun experience. I I I agree. Fine. And um, you know, it's, it's stressful and there's a lot of waiting, a lot of sitting around you're, you're in an environment that you're, not used to as well um uh, you know it's hectic you're trying to run from one gate to the other and sometimes you're stressed you might not make your flight or you know there's a lot that goes into flying too and and people don't also factor in that they're you know flying from one place to another there might be exposed to different foods and stuff like that that their bodies aren't used to and 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 or they might not be getting enough sleep at that time so you know if people are on a flight and they're all getting, you know, coming down with some sort of um, illness afterwards, there's so many different factors that can go into that, that, that are just, uh, you know, uh, just from the the very act of flying and the the stress and uh, the differences that they experience just going through that process.
0: And the majority absolutely. of people are flying because they're on vacation. So they're also not taking into account mm-hmm. that they're eating all kinds of junk food and, and drinking themselves silly while they're on vacation. Yeah, so, you know, they, then they come back and, and they have, you know, um, Multiple causes of different things that they have to um, re-regulate. Their body has to, you know, come back to stasis, and and especially like during the downtime after that, when your body's like, okay, I can finally rest. It's like I'm going to finally detox. So yeah. of course, then you're going
1: to get sick after that. Well, and there, a lot of times when they're on vacations, they're too also in like different time zones, and their body has to adjust to you know a different whole clock mm-hmm. and, and uh, lighting situation, all this stuff. So there, there's so many factors. That's why it's hard to just sit there and say that's just one thing that's leading to anyone um coming down with the or expressing these detoxification symptoms the main thing is just if you notice it that means that it's a good time to just rest and and allow yourself to recover and maybe then take stock in what you've done during that you know leading up to that for the last few weeks that could have potentially brought about that that detoxification process and, and adjust from there
2: right so to touch on that I want to kind of jump back to what we were talking about and I want to have you discuss the relabeling of like some of the same symptoms with like a bunch of different names. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, that's the fun when you, when you go through history and you can see that um, many of these diseases were at one point in time, all considered the same disease, like uh, you know, um, syphilis, many, many diseases were considered um syphilis like uh, lupus uh leprosy um what was the other ones i'm trying to think even tuberculosis i mean they all uh have the exact same symptoms and uh interestingly enough they're um while syphilis gets the the name the great mimicker or the great imita- imitator you can find that with um uh, what is it tuberculosis is known as the the great imitator as well uh, lupus, leprosy, HIV, AIDS, or AIDS, not HIV, but AIDS is considered the great imitator. I just read this um, new one yesterday, I believe, about a bacteria that the CDC is warning people about. It's like this new deadly bacteria that they found. It's not supposed to be in Missouri, but they found some samples in Missouri, and um, they they blast these headlines, and then, then they will go, well, you know, it's found in healthy people, and... You know, it can take decades for anyone to develop symptoms, and the symptoms all mimic all these other diseases like pneumonia and the flu and tuberculosis and those. So, you know, the these they they will look for a, a specific cause that has never been shown to actually cause these symptoms and blame it, and it's just a, basically a repackaging, re, relabeling of the same symptoms. And so, um, you can even look for like polio, you know, polio, um, when you take out the paralysis, part of the equation, it's just basically the flu. It's the same flu like symptoms. And they actually, most of these cases in the, like the early 1950s, um, that were described as polio were just like flu like symptoms. And then occasionally someone might come down with paralysis. But, uh, then I think it was in 1953, they changed the definition of what polio was and it's like, well, only the cases that are paralytic are polio, the rest of these might be some other disease. I I think they uh, changed it some like meningitis or or some other, there was some other two different diseases that they were were claiming that one time were polio, then they broke them off into other ones. Um, Then paralytic polio, uh, I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly. I have horrible recall, so I'm trying to do this based off of just memory. But um, I think it was at one point it was anything that was 24 hours of paralysis was polio. Then that got changed into it had to be 70 days or 60 or 70 days. Like the the paralysis had to last for I, I believe it was 60 days. And if it lasted for 60 days, then that was a case of polio. So anything if there was paralysis. You know from one to 59 days and then it stops well that's not polio anymore that's some other disease and so they always have these um, diagnoses or, or the way that they change it and of course at the time that they made this change in what a polio case was was the exact same time the vaccines came out and so it made it look like these vaccines are effective because they were just now reclassifying polio as like acute flaccid paralysis um, and and other diseases. And they made it much more difficult for doctors to diagnose polio because it had to be this paralysis that now went from, you know, 24 hours all the way to 60 days. So there's this clear pattern where they will regularly take the same symptoms of disease, even um, like I was talking about earlier, syphilis. If you look into syphilis, while it's basically runs the gamut of all the symptoms you can possibly find. And they just lumped it into the syphilis umbrella. Um, When syphilis uh, in the 80s, when AIDS came out, you saw syphilis cases just start to plummet. It's because they took the same symptoms associated with syphilis and then it rebranded as HIV AIDS. And then you saw a rise in AIDS cases and a decline in syphilis cases. So it's really interesting how they constantly do this reshifting and rebranding um and we see it today with covid 19 you know it's basically runs the gamut of no symptoms to allergy symptoms the common cold to flu pneumonia all the way up and so uh they just take it and they they shift these same symptoms under a different brand name and then claim a different cause
0: so it mm-hmm. seems like it's happening around the time that they, they will intentionally shift the controls for diagnosing whatever that is to make a case for the number of cases dropping at the same time as they have a rollout for you know whatever um vaccination process or um or whatever um medication that they're trying to push surrounding whatever this is and and then say that there's been efficacy based on the drop in cases which was caused by the change in in the diagnostics for the cases
1: diagnosis and the treatments when I mean, look at covid you know the vaccines come out and uh, then all of a sudden the flu starts to reappear rsv comes out then we have human or whatever it's called virus and they start taking these same symptoms and they start bringing in the old diseases with the same symptoms and saying well those are back But look at COVID, the vaccines are working because the COVID cases are dropping. But now we're seeing increases in these other ones that are the exact same symptoms of disease. So now we have to come up with new vaccines that will target those. I believe RSV, you know, that that was the whole triple demic. We had uh, COVID, flu and RSV. RSV has been around. uh, They've claimed for like since the 1960s or 70s or something like that. And they've never had a vaccine, but lo and behold, now they're saying there's vaccines for RSV, so they'll be able to vaccinate for people for that. And then human virus I can never pronounce it, comes out. And so then they're going to blame these RSV cases that are, you know, getting cured by the vaccines are going to morph into another one that's the same symptom disease, just a different name and different cause. So, yeah, you're absolutely right that they they are, are doing this to make it look like the treatments or the the medicines or the, the care are actually having an impact and reducing these symptoms of disease when that's not the case. The symptoms still persist. People are still experiencing them. They're just being labeled a completely different name.
0: So there's Absolutely. no way that people are actually um, keeping control of what the controls were, as opposed to um, you know, that, that when you would have some sort of um, Scientific structure to the rollout of something like this, where you would have you know some sort of controls in place. We were saying we're going to keep the diagnostics the same before and after, so that we can prove that this is actually working. That's not the case. They're doing this in concert so that they're flipping the script on this and and they're showing efficacy through you know
2: manipulating the statistics. Yeah. And they're even doing stuff like trying to prove that a new a disease a new disease happened with not even just relabeling the same symptoms with a different name. They'll, they'll like, even without a rebranding, they just take a, a normal symptom that's experienced during the detox process, like, um, parosmia or anosmia. Right. And people have like short memories or something. Cause I think we forgot that that happens during our normal detox, the flu or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it, it's not viral based obviously. And, So during the COVID thing, so many people were like, I've never been sick like this before. You know, why did I lose my sense of smell or why can't I smell? And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of what happens when you are detoxing. This isn't a new symptom. And that's like a thing that's been etched in people's brains. We're like, no, you don't understand this. And it's like, well, it's just not been put in the forefront of your thought process or like your brain, you know, like, so, so many people are talking about the, the lack of smell and stuff. And they're just like, oh well, this is a new thing, but it's not, you know, so it's not even just the relabeling of the symptoms. It's like the recycling, I guess, like you're using the symptoms from something else that normally happens and then attaching it to what you would claim as a new illness when that's they're not shining, what's happening.
1: They're, they're shining a spotlight on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that this, these, this um, loss of smell and taste ever went away, but they shined a spotlight on it and said, well, this is, if you have COVID, this is what you look out for. And so then people became hyper aware of that, like, oh, my gosh, if there's a slight, you know, change in what I'm smelling or tasting, that must mean I need to go get a PCR test, you know, and they had this Mm -hmm. fear. That's that's why you saw this in the media all the time. And that's why the symptom was uh, blasted by the media um, to try and create this perception, because people get that all the time during allergy season, you know, and uh they they typically lose their sense of smell and say allergy season it's all year round but anyways you know what i'm saying like this is not new but even then they they did this game where they switched um even when i think it was delta came out they switched like the order of the symptoms to try and say well it's a new variant now people are experiencing you know uh a sore throat more often than they weren't in the past or um, with this latest one, it's conjunctivitis, you know, it's, if you have pink eye, you must be infected with the new variant. Uh, so watch out for that symptom. They're, they, they, highlight specific symptoms or they'll change and reverse the order the symptoms may present themselves with in order to sell people on the fact that it's a new virus or a new variant that is uh, attacking them. When it's the exact same process, they just are, um, shining a spotlight on, on these, basically not differences but just you know symptoms that are already there
0: I have to say I can't remember one time that I've ever been sick that I've been able to smell or taste food because my nose has been stuffy and smell is connected to taste so uh, you know it stands to reason you're going to lose your sense of smell and your sense of taste you you can't do those things without them working in concert that's how they work
2: well I actually people forget yeah. that yeah no sorry That's how your body works though. Your your body is is making you not want to smell or taste so that it does what? It fasts, it's trying to to tell you what it needs. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, every time I've been sick, I'm like, no, I don't want to smell or taste, I can't eat. You know what I mean? So, and the, the thing is with that, when you have all of the symptoms of perceived different illnesses, right? And they're all the same. How do you you have an inability to make a clinical diagnosis here based on symptoms alone and mike maybe you might want to touch on that a little bit more
1: yeah they can't they they absolutely admit over and over again that they cannot diagnose you know the difference between um you know a common cold or uh, we'll just take the twin dem or the triple demic i hate these terms um as an example so you know, COVID came, they, they said there's COVID, we had the, the flu and RSV. Um, they admitted over and over again that if you go to the doctor, the doctor cannot diagnose you based on the symptoms that you come in with. It's impossible because the symptoms are identical. So the only way that they can do this is through their molecular tests, you know, PCR tests, um, which, you know, I'll reliable those tests are and um, or they'll use the antibody tests, which are even less considered less reliable. I mean, they're, none of them are reliable, but this is their tests are the only way that they can diagnose. But the problem that people don't realize is these tests like uh, PCR, in order for them to be accurate, accurate, they the prevalence for this this disease must be known. And in order to know a disease prevalence, you have to be able to clinically diagnose it based on symptoms alone, and they can't do that. So they use this this backwards where they say, well, PCR is diagnosing the cases, and so it can be used to validate itself, because now we know prevalence, but it's this, it's this weird circular game where they admit that they can't diagnose or distinguish these diseases based on clinical symptoms. They need to know that in order for PCR to be accurate. They can't do that, but so they'll diagnose the cases based on PCR in order to build this prevalence rate up to say that the PCR is accurate. It's and really messed up.
0: Isn't it true that PCR was never even meant to be a diagnostic? It was It was produced for manufacturing, I thought, like to, uh, to test, um, you know, um, however much of something was in something else for for manufacturing purposes in order to make sure that it was in compliance i thought that's what it was for
1: yeah i mean the kerry mollis and people will try to point to like i think it was a 1985 patent or something like that where it, it included the the option that maybe it could be used for diagnosis in the future but he even came out later and said no you know if if you're using PCR, it can't tell you if you're sick. It can't tell you if the thing that it's finding is doing any of this stuff to you. It's just taking one little tiny thing and blowing it up exponentially. And and I, I believe even said that, like, there's not a single molecule in anyone that you can't find if you do it well. If you use PCR well, you can find anything in anyone. And so it's a, it shouldn't be. It, it, this is not the way that um, this should be this technology should be used. It's being fraudulently used to bump up cases. And and so, you know, if it was gonna be an accurate way of detecting a virus, they would have to actually calibrate and validate the PCR to actual purified and isolated virus particles. But they never do that. They admit that they do not um, have that. I mean, the, the PCR test that is used for coronavirus or COVID was completely done in silico in a computer. They, they just took, you know, random sequences from uh, other coronaviruses viruses and said, well, this probably will match. And this is based on, um, it's all based on the computer, the genomes and everything. And they created a, a test based on that. So it wasn't to the actual virus. They're not actually detecting virus. They're just take, taking tiny fragments said to belong to this virus that were generated in a computer and claiming that this test is detecting the virus in you.
2: Yeah. And so many people will, will tell you like, well, no, I had COVID. And when you ask them, well, how do you know? And that's their answer is a PCR test. And it's basically was a pandemic of PCR testing. You know what I
1: mean? I always called it the testing pandemic, you know, that's, (laughs) that's um, yeah. It's, it's never been proven to be a viral one. It's (laughs) all based on testing. I mean, um, I don't promote them very much, but even Donald Trump was at one point, I'm, I'm going through these old posts that I used to do. And like early on during this pandemic, he's like, you know, we, we see cases because we're testing. We test more than any country in the world. We stop testing, the cases go away. And that's exactly it. You, you If you test and test and test, of course, you're going to find it. I mean, they're, they're all false positives. They'll, they'll try and give you this, you know, that, well, maybe it's uh, 20% or something like that. I've seen reports of 80 percent but the none of the, the pcr results are actually um accurate they're not detecting the virus but you know they'll they'll sit there and claim that these little fragments that they are detecting belong to one when it really isn't
2: so apart from those false positives um I think it's interesting too, that we've seen so many videos of people trying to debunk the PCR test on their own at home. And I mean, people were testing like, I think oranges and grapefruits mm-hmm. and like milk and apple juice and all this crazy stuff. And they were coming up positive.
1: Yeah, the antigen tests were, were horrible for that, like Coca-Cola and, um, and and antibody tests they they can fool them. Yeah. Just on based on the acidity level. And so it made me wonder, I, I haven't really investigated as much as I'd like, but maybe they're just glorified pH, you know, uh, testing kits that that's, if you can fool them based on, uh, what, uh, kind of, uh, liquids you're using, then how accurate can they really be? You know, mm-hmm. but that is an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up.
2: No, definitely. In, I mean, uh, or even
1: uh, in Tanzania, is it Tanzania? I, I'm horrible with countries, but I think the president there, you know, sh- sent in some uh, samples from like a goat, a pawpaw paw fruit. A yeah. And it all came back positive for coronavirus. Yeah. So, I mean, that just shows you how accurate those tests really are. Sadly, yeah, he lost his life not not long after that, but he, he did a good job of showing the, the absurdity of it all.
0: To hear part two of this interview, please subscribe at starfirecodes.com.